All right, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I think this is a uh, really good week for us in terms of uh, speaking up on behalf of, of, of really locally elected officials and parents and families. Uh, you know, as we said on last week's show, that there was a... Uh, you know, this other statewide mandate for masks, which we, we've claimed from the very beginning, these statewide mandates don't make much sense. And uh, I think that, you know, as we continue to plan for coming back early into session, which is something we announced um, this week to deal with this mask mandate um, and a host of other issues that um, people that have concerns about how they're being dealt with uh, and how this, their state government is treating their individual decisions and how their local government should be acting um, deserve to have their voices heard here in Harrisburg. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, the newspaper coverage and the TV coverage reflects that. And actually, there was a really good uh, guest editorial that was written by Chris Komisak. He's a veteran Capitol reporter, has reported for Capitol Wire uh, for several years, which is a subscription-based service here in the Capitol. Um, and he wrote this for broadandliberty.com. If anybody listening is interested, just fire up your Google machine, type in Broad and Liberty, and it'll come up. And it's Chris Komisak. He says, Governor Wolf has worn out his welcome. And the introduction, I think, really summarizes a lot of people's thoughts here. He says, if he hadn't already with most people, I think it's safe to say that with his new mask mandate for kids in schools and daycare, Governor Tom Wolf has finally worn out his welcome as Pennsylvania's chief executive and the state's resident, with the state's residents. He's been in over his head and the last 18 months has made that situation painfully clear to anyone with the willingness to look beyond partisan politics and the fear machine created by those who have crippled this state, this nation, and the entire world because they themselves are afraid, irrationally afraid, of anyone getting COVID-19. And then he goes in and he, he goes through a lot of the studies that have come out of the UK with school children in the UK and other countries, talks about the actual science behind this, and really picks apart um, you know the rationale for a statewide mask mandate, a one-size-fits-all type approach. It's a really good read. Again, broad liberty.com Chris Komisak. I would encourage everybody to give it a read. Yeah, and, and certainly that is also why this week the, the Republican leaders uh, in the House and the Senate sent a letter to the governor uh, asking for more detailed information to be put on the COVID-19 dashboard because, you know, certainly we have entered a new reality when it comes to COVID with the uh, the advent of, uh, of, of vaccines and, um, you know, the, the wide availability and distribution of those vaccines, which, by the way, the House Republican Caucus was instrumental in leading on when the governor was falling flat on his face and getting uh, and 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 the entire administration and getting these vaccines out to people. Um, House Republicans stepped up and showed the leadership that people expect to get the vaccines out. Uh, but, you know, there's there's some hospitals that do this um, by, by their by their own initiative, which shows the difference between the number of people in the hospital, uh, those people in the hospital for COVID who are vaccinated and unvaccinated, those who are on, uh, you know, have breathing support who are vaccinated and unvaccinated. Uh, and you can see the breakdown of, you know, really how effective the vaccine is in, in, in getting uh, preventing serious illness. Um, and on top of that, we also ask for information as it relates to children and, and, and COVID. We know from the very beginning of the pandemic, while, you know, children are more susceptible or are are getting COVID, uh, that's, you know, they're, they, they're not totally immune. Uh, the ability for them to uh, have a serious uh, Ill illness as a result of getting COVID is much lower than the rest of the population. And um, I, that's, that's, that's a critical factor in 
um, in determining how to mitigate it, right? You, you, if if our goal and our, if our goal from the beginning was to make sure nobody ever gets COVID, we will forever be in 15 days to flatten the curve. Um, when you're making statewide mandates because you don't want people to get sick, um, then that's a problem because people are going to get sick. I mean, I have a a child in daycare and he has had uh, almost every single illness you could possibly think of since he started daycare in the last three weeks, uh, but he has not had COVID. Um, and you know, there is no mass prevention of, you know, people need to wear eye patches to not have pink eye. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a critical that we know what the, um, you know, the number of children are that are having incidents of serious disease uh, are when they're making these decisions. You know, we're here, we've heard from the beginning, we need to follow the science, we need to follow the data, we need to, 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 to believe all this stuff is true. Uh, and all the while, they're not providing the data on which they are relying to make these decisions. And that Pennsylvania-specific data, if you ask them what data they're using, they're looking at places like Florida and Texas, uh, Arkansas, which have much lower vaccination rates uh, than Pennsylvania does. And um, there's no Pennsylvania-specific data which they provided. Now, um, but other states report that kind of data, so we know that it can be collected. It, it, it absolutely can be collected, and there's no reason for them to to hide it. I think that they they are said they're willing to show that information, but you know that stuff should have been provided to uh, the the public or the people's representatives in the general assembly uh, prior to them making that decision. Because uh, without having that data, it's impossible for us to know whether they're following the science or just following the political science. Yeah, and I think if you if you look back through history, um, it was the Republicans in the general assembly who early on called on at that time secretary levine to give us more data that you know early in the pandemic they weren't reporting any hospitalizations any you know or the people that that were getting covid what their comorbidities were the ages of these individuals and it was only after um you know the the then speaker mike torzai wrote a letter asking for more information that that it be it came to light that you know early in the pandemic it was people over 65 who were you know, getting hit the hardest. And with that information, then the Republican controlled General Assembly could act. You know, we enacted the Senior Protection Act to try to, to help protect seniors living in nursing homes and get those resources directly where they're needed. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, other states are reporting more granular data on COVID. And it's important to have that data because as policymakers, we need to be making informed decisions. And, you know, I'm never disappointed in the Department of Health's ineptness. Um, it seems like um, they've been collecting data for 18 months and somehow it's become less useful over time. Uh, only a government agency could be uh, that inept in, in their reporting and collecting of data. Uh, but um, I think that was a really important move, and I think it's important to note, too, that uh, that wasn't just our leadership team that, that spoke. That was a joint statement from the House and Senate Republican leaders. So once again, you know, Republicans in the General Assembly are speaking with one voice on behalf of their constituents and, you know, telling the governor what we're hearing. That, that is important. I think one of the other things we need to, to think about uh, in terms of COVID recovery is the state of our economy. Uh, the state of our economy has not really gotten much better. People blame the Delta variant, but I think what we could also blame is uh, an inept Wolf administration uh, for failing to incentivize people to go back to work. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the pandemic, they were using COVID uh, as an excuse to say the private sector needs to do more for employees and if employees don't want to go back to work they shouldn't have to and uh, that you know they need to drive up wages and ask for better benefits and you know use this really as a time uh, to you know I know that the, the, the saying goes uh, don't let any good crisis go to waste to really reshape our, our, our economic viewpoint uh, in favor of a more uh, you know liberal economic viewpoint uh, in terms of, uh, of, of employees returning to work and what that means. 
Uh, since then, we've seen the private sector react uh, just because they are starved for labor. Right. The wages have gone up. Uh, benefits have increased, and people are really doing all they can to get manpower because uh, it's one of the things that is really slowing our, our economic recovery. Right. And the, the Democratic caucus acts as though the problem is that we haven't raised the minimum wage. I mean, look at the signs that are Sheets is hiring people yeah, over $15 an hour. The minimum wage itself, which we're fine with. That's how it should work. Right, right. The private sector, you know, the the, the economy or the market is, is reacting to a shortage of labor, and they're offering higher wages. Unfortunately, they're still not able to get people to come to work in large part because the government is offering them free money not to go to work. Um, but, you know, in Pennsylvania, we still remain woefully behind other states. You know, we just celebrated Labor Day, uh, so it's a good time to talk about this. Um, but, you know, if you compare Pennsylvania's unemployment rate in July was 6.4 percent, it's about two, a full two percentage points higher than the national average. You know, you look at, at surrounding states, Ohio, West Virginia, Delaware, Maryland, they all have lower unemployment rates than us. Um, you know, it's kind of sad when our only rallying cry is, well, at least we're not in New York. Yeah, uh, and you could say that for many things, including uh, the the nursing home situation. And well, we were like New York. On well, that. we I mean we were, but uh, at least we didn't like you know. At least we don't know. Well, we at, know least the, at least the Republican the General Assembly stepped yeah. in and corrected the situation. Yeah, and we're investigating. We're making sure that uh, everything is done above board. Right. As we know, NPR, you can frame anything how you want to. And, you know, in July, when the unemployment numbers came out, the Wolf administration puts out a press release, uh, you know, kind of celebrating the fact that this is the fifth consecutive month that the unemployment rate has has dipped in Pennsylvania and dipped by 0.3 percent, I think. Well, when you actually dig into the numbers, it's because 16,000 people just stopped looking for work altogether. They just they just left the labor force. Maybe they left Pennsylvania. Maybe they're maybe they went to Florida and Texas and some of these states that have more open economies. Yeah. And uh you know, I think the other thing, too, is is when you just look at um, sort of the, the, you know, we have two societies now. We have the society um, that everybody is living in, and we have the society that people are still trying to create. I think you, you haven't seen a much bigger disparity in how people want to live their lives, and I think you saw this past weekend when you had college football stadiums literally filled to the brim with uh, maskless attendees uh packed in like sardines to college football stadiums. And this is just not in Florida um, when my University of Montana Grizzlies beat number 20 Washington uh, over the weekend. Uh, by the way, it was only the sixth time a football championship subdivision team beat a ranked football bowl subdivision team uh, in all of history. Uh, so go Grizz. Uh, but uh, Seattle, Washington had their uh, stadium packed full of uh, Husky fans and Grizzly fans who made the trek from Missoula and all other parts to come see. But nobody's wearing masks. And this is not, you know, this isn't uh, Florida. This is Seattle, where uh, you got to remember Antifa had the uh, Seattle free zone or whatever it was right. uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Um, you know, this is no bastion of conservative thought. And still people want to go. They want to live their lives. They want to do uh, the right thing and try to keep everybody safe. But, you know, I think there's a re there needs to be a realization that, you know, right now we are in a an atmosphere where 20 percent of public school teachers are unvaccinated. Uh, 25 percent of healthcare professionals are unvaccinated. Uh, the House Democrats had a tweet out last Friday that said, uh, if you're unvaccinated, you're as bad as Kim Jong-un um, and you're a, a bloodthirsty dictator, essentially. Wow. Um, yeah. And, wow. and it's really it's, jumped the shark with that one. Uh, right. And, and I think one of the things that we need to remember is that you know, vaccination and getting sick at this point is a choice. Uh, it's the same choice you make when you don't get a flu shot and you get the flu. Um, and then you have to stay home from work. And, um, you know, if, if again, we can't live our lives as if we're not going to have be sick. And I think one of the things the arguments Chris Komisak made in that argument uh, or in that, in that article you read was basically at some point, 
and given that COVID will be here for the rest of our lives, uh, we will all have COVID-19 at some point. It's up to you how badly you want to have it. Uh, and that's a decision you can make with your healthcare provider, given your own medical history and all of that stuff. But, you know, we can't, you know, we can't let uh, a fear of COVID impact how we educate our children, how we live our lives, and whether we enter the workforce again. Right. And coronaviruses are not a new thing. COVID-19 is a strand of coronavirus, which is new. Uh, but it's not as though, um, you know, society hasn't dealt with coronaviruses in the past. Um, so, Jason, we're back in session September 20th. Uh, the legislature is actually coming back early uh, to address this issue. Do you want to give us a little bit of preview of what we're looking at that week? Uh, sure. I think that uh, not only are we going to be looking to find some legislative solution uh, for, and again, this isn't, you know, we're going to necessarily repeal the mask mandate. Uh, I think that we're going to give people the a chance to have options and whether they wish to comply with it. Uh, we're restore gonna, local control to our school yeah, boards. Restore, and again, there's, there's no more local uh, form of government than the family unit. And um, these decisions can be made uh, inside the home uh, as well as they can at a school board meeting. And, and I think that there's going to need to be some option for families to make that decision as to how they're going to uh, be, be complying with the statewide mandate. On top of that, I think we need to have a really serious discussion about the Secretary of Health Authority. You know, nobody wants unilateral government, especially from an unelected acting uh, secretary uh, who has not been, uh, has not had any touch with an elected uh, official other than being nominated by uh, the governor. Um, you know, they have not been confirmed by the Senate. She has not been confirmed by the Senate. She has uh, not been elected or received a single vote by anybody. Um, yet she has the ability, uh, according to the governor's office, to issue statewide mandates and control people's lives. Um, this actually sort of reminds me of an episode of Sliders uh, where there is a uh, global pandemic and uh, the California Health Commission is weaponized in a military unit um, because that's uh, how they decided to go and uh, deal with, with the virus that was spreading in, in, around the world at that time. Uh, that virus, by the way, was called Q. Very, very interesting. Yeah, not QAnon, though. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, that's, so that's certainly something that we will uh, be looking at. But, you know, we have a full, a full slate of things that we want to deal with now that we have extra days. Um, you know, it looks like we'll also be able to do an early look at uh, the regula regulations that were waived and suspended and start moving legislation along those lines. Certainly when we get back on the 20th, uh, the emergency disaster declaration dealing with Ida will uh, be expiring. So we'll have to make a decision on that one way or another. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, a couple other things that we have on the agenda now that we're here, uh, you know, we want to make sure we're getting to work. We're just not the party of no, we're the party of leadership. We have been for the last 18 months, uh, and we're going to show that with whatever we do, whatever time we have uh, here in session. We're going to be united, we're going to be strong, and we're going to speak up for the people of Pennsylvania who feel like they've been voiceless in the face of these mandates. Yeah, and in the May primary, uh, the, the people of Pennsylvania restored checks and balances in Pennsylvania. They voted on, a constitu on two constitutional amendments um, that reduced the governor's ability to just unilaterally, continuously extend disaster declarations. And you mentioned Hurricane Ida. Um, you know, I think that that's something our members are seriously looking at. And, and um, I think it's a good thing. It, it has prompted the Wolf administration to have to come and talk to the General Assembly about what they're doing. Um, and we're going to take responsible actions. And we're going to, you know, we're going to help the people of Pennsylvania. Obviously, Ida did a, a, a significant amount of damage in a lot of areas. There was a lot of flooding, um, you know, and we're going to we're going to help those people out. Um, but it also, you know, when it, when it comes to the opioid declaration, right? I mean, that was 
more than three years of just continuous extensions of a disaster declaration. Well, now the governor is coming to the General Assembly with actual policy recommendations the way it should work. The General Assembly is going to enact laws to help, and we've already enacted dozens of laws to, to get at the, the, the opioid de de uh, disaster in Pennsylvania. And, you know, we know it's an ongoing process, but there needs to be a dialogue between the governor and the General Assembly. I mean, we are all policymakers. This is how our, our government was, was formed. Yeah, and again, I think one of the things we're going to take on early in this session is a look at uh, standardizing our emergency response, because you're right, nobody wants unilateral government, be that from uh, the governor or from the General Assembly. That's that People want cooperative government right. in the most trying of times, be it a hurricane, uh, a global pandemic, uh, or, uh, you know, God forbid we're on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 here, some sort of terrorist attack. People want their government working together to solve the problem. They don't want 21 days of the governor ac operating in a vacuum and then saying, good luck, General Assembly, you guys got to figure this out from square one. Uh, and they don't want the General Assembly to, once we get it from square one, be like, well, we don't know what the heck's going on. We're going to start from scratch and we're going to end this thing and we'll respond with legislation. Like, that's not uh, how people want to do. Everybody wants everybody informed. Everybody wants everybody working together. You know, in the most trying of times, and I think we saw this 20 years ago, uh, we should be coming together. We should not necessarily be uh, you know, dealing with our base political desires. Unfortunately, you know, uh, you know, the, the the Wolf administration has made that very difficult by doing everything to cater to their base during the pandemic and try to seek uh, drastic and overarching and uh, radical social change uh, as a result of 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 and taking advantage of the global pandemic. Um, and you know, we've had to step in and sort of be the stewards of liberty and uh, the protectors of freedom and make sure that the people of Pennsylvania don't get taken advantage of by an overzealous administration. Which is not what the people. Pennsylvania voted for, right? right? In the same election that they voted in Tom Wolf as governor of Pennsylvania, they voted in sizable Republican majorities in both the House and Senate. People expect compromise. They expect government to, you know, work together to solve the problems that are before us. They did not elect a dictator. No, but, you know, as we all know, the governor's only been in politics for seven years. So, right. He's uh, new to this. Yeah. He might not necessarily know what those elections mean. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll uh, see you in the next one.